Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. Welcome to episode four on this series on Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Up until now, we've been considering the genre, context, and structure of the novel. But before we can take that any further, it's important that we know and understand more about the key characters of the novel. Rather than starting with a name character, Victor Frankenstein, let's meet the characters in the order they appear through the different frame narratives. That means we start with Captain Robert Walton. Captain Walton serves as one of the major frame narratives of the text. His letters to his sister, Mrs. Savile, open the novel, and introduce us as readers to the character of Frankenstein when he's discovered on the ice. Without these letters, Frankenstein's story wouldn't exist. Walton's aspirational, frontier-obsessed approach to exploring also prepares us, the readers, for some of the themes of the novel. Namely, the pushing of boundaries and the search for knowledge. The extreme geography of Walton's surroundings are symbolic of the limits of knowledge and mankind's desire to push beyond them. In fact, it can be argued that Walton's planned expedition is intended to mirror Victor Frankenstein's story arc. Both men are chasing unpossessed knowledge and testing the limits of humanity. In fact. It's Walton's determination to learn more about the world that results in Frankenstein telling his story, a tale that, until that moment, he had intended to take with him to his grave. I had determined at one time that the memory of these evils should die with me, but you have won me to alter my determination. You seek for knowledge and wisdom as I once did. And I ardently hope that the gratification of your wishes may not be a serpent to sting you, as mine has been. <coughs> so, Walton is intended to be a reflection of what a young Victor Frankenstein was like. But what do we as readers make of Victor when we first encounter him in the novel? Our first glimpse is of a man who has collapsed on the ice. And only agrees to come on board once it's established that the boat is not returning to the safety of known lands, but rather pushing on into the hostile unknown. Frankenstein's travels have left him weak, emaciated, and almost dead, and it takes a while for him to recover and recount his tale. Frankenstein's withered state is intended to serve as a warning as to what the pursuit of knowledge will do to a man. And what it will do to Walton if he doesn't bring his adventurous spirit under control. So, through Walton, we are not only introduced to the main character of the story, but also given a glimpse of the heights from which Frankenstein has fallen. In framing Victor's introduction in this way, Shelley has already made us as readers curious about what exactly happened to Frankenstein, and how he found his way out onto the ice. Frankenstein's story starts out idyllic, or at least his telling of it is. He was brought up in a small village in the Alps, cared for by loving parents, and when Victor was a little older, his parents adopted a young girl, Elizabeth, who over time becomes 
more than sister to Victor. The two bond and fall in love. And just before Frankenstein's mother dies, she makes it clear that she wants the two of them to get married. After his mother's death, Frankenstein attends the University of Ingolstadt in Germany. However, he finds himself at conflict with what's being taught at the university. Frankenstein is fascinated by the old alchemists and thinkers, but their approaches and beliefs are incompatible with what he's being taught about science. This conflict between Frankenstein and the prescribed limits of science is what sets Frankenstein on his path to creating the monster. Pushing back against the teachings of his professors, Frankenstein becomes obsessed with the principle of life. He explains to Walton, One of the phenomena which had peculiarly attracted my attention was the structure of the human frame, and indeed any animal endued with life. Whence, I often asked myself, did the principle of life proceed? Fascinated by how life enters a body, Frankenstein works tirelessly to uncover this secret until... One day, he finds it. Some people may have hesitated upon discovering the secret to life, but Frankenstein is a boundary pusher, and he does exactly what you'd expect of a pioneer explorer. He creates a new life. This new creature is made from a combination of different corpses, and Frankenstein describes its creation as a time of painful labour, this is the first of many references to birth and the giving of life throughout the book. In the absence of female characters, you could very well argue that Frankenstein assumes, and quickly rejects, the role of a mother when he creates the monster. Whilst Frankenstein does successfully create life, he's horrified when he first witnesses his living creation. It's an unpleasant experience as Victor realises that he's crossed some unseen line. That realisation causes him to fall into a deep depression and sickness, one which he will battle for the rest of the novel. It also causes him to abandon the life he's created, leaving it to fend for himself. As a character, Frankenstein represents the Promethean scientist, attaining knowledge he should not and being punished for the discovery. His behaviour and desire to understand all the elements of life are directly in opposition to romantic thinking, which believes that some things are simply incomprehensible to humans. This is perhaps why the sublime experiences he has throughout the novel are so affecting for him, because their scale and unknowability intimidate and alarm his enlightenment sensibility so much. So, to summarise... Frankenstein represents the following. The Promethean scientist, pushing boundaries that shouldn't necessarily be crossed. Enlightenment thinking as a whole, believing that everything has a rational explanation. He's also the parent of the monster, and the person who begins a trend of abandonment and rejection which will become the core of the monster's existence. Keep all of these things in your mind as you progress through the novel. How does his behaviour relate to these themes, and does he ever undermine them? OK, we've spoken about Frankenstein, but what about his monster? He's described in the novel as Victor's hideous progeny and an inversion of humanity. 
Despite Frankenstein's effort to construct his creation from the most beautiful corpses, the final outcome is disturbing, threatening and monstrous. At least to Frankenstein. Remember that for most of the novel, whenever we hear the monster described, it is through the eyes of his human creator. Frankenstein immediately objectifies the monster and turns it into a creature of terror. As a result, our impression of the monster is informed by the thoughts and prejudices of Victor Frankenstein. It isn't until later in the novel that we can move from this initial objectification to a more complete image of the monster. This pattern is repeated throughout the novel whenever the monster encounters new people. Whenever someone first lays eyes on him, they're filled with fear and either flee or chase him off. Only at the end of the novel, having heard Frankenstein's complete confession, is Walton able to face the monster without fleeing and hear what it has to say. The first time we as readers truly meet the monster is at the end of chapter 10, when he confronts Frankenstein near Mont Blanc in all its awful majesty. That the monster's true nature is revealed in this sublime environment is important. The sense of emptiness and insignificance that Frankenstein feels when he looks upon the mountain is the same feeling that the monster feels when he looks at human society. Both of them are standing at the edge of something, trying to understand it, but being refused by some force, either immaterial or physical. The monster's tale is that of loneliness. He tells Frankenstein his tale of pain and abandonment, and about how he searched for a family after Victor left him. The monster's story is sad, and as readers we feel pity towards him. However, even now, the monster is framed by Frankenstein's narrative, always referred to in negative terms like monster, wretch, devil and demon. That last one, demon, is interesting. Keep an eye out for it as you move through the novel. It's actually a term which Frankenstein will eventually turn on himself as he discovers more about himself. So, to summarise, the monster represents the following. Isolation. The monster is rejected at almost every attempt by other characters in the novel. First his father, then his adopted family, and any others he encounters on his travels. A blank slate, or tabula rasa. The monster is brought into the world as a child, but quickly absorbs knowledge through books and poetry. As a result, even though its appearance is monstrous, it speaks eloquently and intelligently on many subjects. However, over time, as it's exposed to humanity, the monster begins to perform evil acts. Perhaps it's intended also as a commentary on humanity. Finally, of course, the monster is an examination of what monstrosity is, and whether we, as people, are too quick to judge outward appearance. Remember Frankenstein's description of the monster is biased and completely visual until the monster speaks. As with Frankenstein, keep all of these things in mind as you progress through the novel. How does the monster's behaviour relate to these themes? And if he undermines them, what is the effect of that? At this point, we've discussed the three key characters of the novel. 
You may have noticed they are also the three narrators. There are still three characters who are important to the progression of the story. However, while they do not take part in the storytelling, they act as catalysts for events and therefore shouldn't be ignored in your analysis. Let's begin with Elizabeth, Frankenstein's wife-to-be, and Henry Claval, Victor's boyhood companion. I group these two characters together because they serve a similar purpose in the book. How best to put this? They die. <laughs> yep, that's basically it. Both Elizabeth and Henry represent things which the monster can take from Frankenstein. The monster punishes Frankenstein for giving it life by taking life. And it's at these moments that the monster lives up to his name. Without the deaths of Henry and Elizabeth on his hands, it would be a much more sympathetic and less complicated creature. Elizabeth is actually the closest we get in the novel to a female character, and she's described in a way that aligns her with the classic heroine figure. She has hair of the brightest living gold, with blue eyes cloudless, and her lips and the moulding of her face so expressive of sensibility and sweetness. Despite all these features, she's really just a plot point in the novel, much like the other women in Frankenstein's life. Both Elizabeth and Henry's deaths are intended by the monster to leave Frankenstein feeling the same sense of abandonment and loneliness that the monster feels every day. Henry's death upsets Frankenstein deeply, but it is Elizabeth's death which breaks him and sets him on his final path pursuing the monster north. While Henry and Elizabeth are of vital importance to Frankenstein, our final characters have a key part to play in the development of the monster. The de Lacy family are literally at the very core of the novel in that they are the deepest embedded narrative told by the monster. We hear about them through the monster's narrative inside of Frankenstein's narrative inside of Walden's narrative. The de Lacy family represent the ideal, complete family unit. It's through observing them that the monster learns both how to read and how to speak. His observations also fill him with a sense of companionship and an understanding of what parenthood should be. However, when he tries to reach out to the family, he's turned away out of fear. While the de Lacy's are not explicitly central characters, without them the monster wouldn't develop some of his key issues about abandonment, knowledge and parentage. Their influence isn't purely negative, however. They're responsible for the monster's education, and his sensibilities are shaped by texts such as Milton's Paradise Lost and Goethe's The Sorrows of Young Werther. That's all for this episode. You should now have a stronger grasp of all the characters in the novel, particularly those of Walton, Frankenstein and the monster. Next episode, we'll be taking a closer look at the major themes of the novel, ahead of beginning our read-through in episode 6. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. 
We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.